Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Coaches Challenge Podcast. I am your host, Hunter Crawford, joined by... Tyler Kind. We got another great show slotted up for you folks. Today, we're going to be talking all about the past NFL draft. We're going to start off with talking with Hunter and I's winners and losers of the draft. Got some good stuff to talk about there. Later on, we're going to move into our biggest surprise of the NFL draft, and then we're going to conclude with our thoughts on our team's drafts. Once again, quick little bit of context. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Hunter, my over here, is a Denver Bronco fan. Not sure how you pick Denver Broncos in, but <laughs> we make it work. We make it work, man. It's a love-hate kind of relationship at times, yep. but all good. So starting off, winners of the NFL draft. So for context for our viewers, at least my opinion here, I don't know if Hunter will agree with this. The way I like going about this in terms of giving the draft evaluation afterwards is I think you can only do it by winners or losers rather than allotting letter grades to the drafts or draft picks like some of these analysts do why i think that's stupid because you have no way of knowing until three years ish down the road if those letter grades will actually hold the test of time versus winners and losers the way we've come to these conclusions here by deciding if a team or a player is a winner or a loser is looking at where they were drafted at how many picks if if applicable were sacrificed to move up to get this player Mm -hmm. as well as overall team needs and how well these teams either you know help their teams out or not as much Mm -hmm. so with that being said i'll start off hunter with talking about my first winner here i have three in total being the arizona cardinals and what they did with their draft so josh rosen is truly a love him or hate him type quarterback prospect yep But there's no denying, in my opinion, that the Cardinals are big winners for trading up to get him in the first round, snagging a franchise quarterback and only having to give up a third and a fifth round pick to do so. Even if Josh Rosen fails, even if he busts, in my opinion, the Cardinal front office can sleep at night knowing that they didn't have to sell the farm to get a potential franchise quarterback, unlike yeah. what, for example, the Redskins did with RG3. Yeah. Then in the next round, the general manager, Steve Kime, added Christian Kirk, who I thought overall was a pretty underrated receiver coming out of Texas A&M, who will not only help out Larry Fitzgerald on the other side, whichever quarterback they decide to roll with, whether that's Sam Bradford or inevitably Rosen as well, too. He can catch. He can also run block. He's a very physical receiver, could beat you off the line. And also, he drafted. they drafted Mason Cole, a very versatile offensive lineman who can play both guard and center. Big winners, in my opinion. The Cardinals, I still think, of course, they're not quite on the level of the Rams. No. The Rams, I still think, are going to own that division. However, I like some of the pieces that they've added in place. Remember, too, that they're going to be getting back stud running back David Johnson from IR yeah, as well, too. Finally. <laughs> and because he missed essentially the entire season, you figure as long as his rehab is going well, he should be able to in my opinion, performed very well. So, Hunter, who was your first winner of the draft? Uh, my first big winner is going to have to be the New York Jets. I think they drafted really well. They had a stellar pick in the first round with Sam Darnold coming out of USC for the number three overall pick. That fills one of their biggest needs on the team. They haven't really had great success with quarterbacks in the past. I think Sam Darnold has stellar talent, and he has a really good possibility of being the franchise quarterback that the Jets have been looking for. They also drafted a couple defensive guys. They took a D-tackle from Fort Hayes State, uh, number 72 overall. His name is Nathan Shepard. That's something they've also been missing as well. That's a big piece. Their defense hasn't looked as good as it used to be, uh, you know, when they used to have Revis Island and everything like that. They really need to kind of 
build a new defensive scheme and a new defense altogether. So I think that was a perfect pick. And they started that last year with Jamal Adams, who I thought was one of the most underrated picks of last year's draft. Coming mm-hmm. out of LSU, he was certainly the most refined safety. Now, I agree with you that they still need corners, but I like the pieces, I agree with you, that are in place. Mm-hmm. And from Miami, they picked up tight end named Christopher Herndon, or Herndon, sorry, at number 107 overall. That's an also that's also a very good pick. Give Sam Darnold somebody to throw to once he gets on the starting roster there. You know, they want to give him as many weapons as possible. Next pick they had, they picked up a cornerback from Tulane, Perry Nickerson. That was the 179th overall pick. Again, like we were talking about, the defensive struggles that they've been seeing, missing cornerback play. That was a very good pick. And then their last two picks, they picked a defensive tackle from Connecticut fully. Not going to try to say his last name because I know I'll butcher it. And the running back from Virginia State, Trenton Cannon, uh, those were their last two picks in the draft, and I think those also filled decent needs overall. They probably could still use some help at running back. Not that they should have traded up for one or reached for one at all, but... I'm sure they'll find that help along the way, maybe in free agency at the beginning of the year. But that kid could turn out to be really stellar, too. I don't really have his stats put up. Overall, though, I think the Jets had a very good draft. I think they drafted for their needs. They drafted for immediate help where they needed it. And I think they picked good players from good schools. And one of the other things, too, I did want to quickly touch on with the Cardinals before I move on to my second winner here is also, I think, in a way, Josh Rosen is a winner of the draft, too. Now, he, of course, went public right after on draft day at night saying, you know, there were nine, quote, nine mistakes made in front of me, end quote. Now, do I agree with him saying that? Absolutely not. Even if you had that attitude of being passed up by these other teams, fine. But Josh, if he ever was to listen to this, I would ask him, be honest with yourself. You dodged not just a bullet, you dodged a cataclysmic landmine by not going to Cleveland. You would never have survived there. Or how about New York? The New York media, with how brutal those guys are, and how outspoken Josh is, they would have torn him apart. Mm. I think he landed big time by going to Arizona. Mike McCoy's there. He's a great mind with working with young quarterbacks. They don't need him right away either with Sam Bradford versus in Cleveland or New York. The Jets, that is, where they likely would have thrown him into the fire pretty quick. I think Josh Rosen, I understand the frustration. Now, I can never relate, okay? I'm not ever going to play in the NFL. I will never know what it will be like to have other players past, you know, picked before me in the draft. But I think Josh Rosen, in a way, won too because he went to a much better situation, to a much better team. By the way, Hunter, I do want to say... Thinking back to our last podcast where we offered our final predictions on the NFL draft before the first round, did I or did I not say that Lamar Jackson would go in the first round? And that leads me to our second winner, which is the Baltimore Ravens. Now, some context here, okay? While I didn't say it word for word on the podcast, I will confess to the listeners that I was half right. I knew he would go in the first round. However, I really thought it was going to be the Patriots, after all, that took him. I will admit, I didn't expect Baltimore to actually be the team to pick him up. But nonetheless, I knew he would go because, like I said, there's enough teams that need quarterbacks. It's a quarterback-driven league. Someone would pull the trigger. So why the Ravens are winners? Well, let's talk Flacco real quick. 
Entering the 2018 upcoming season, Joe Flacco is going into the second to last year of his contract that is set to award him a mammoth $24.5 million salary. A salary that certainly, barring injury, will leave him entrenched as the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens next season. However, afterwards, Joe Flacco will have no more guaranteed money on his contract. If they opted to release him per over the cap in the 2019 offseason per June 1st, it would result in $10 million in dead money, however, while saving $10.5 million. If they, however, made him a designated post-June 1st cut, it would result in $18.5 million in savings while splitting $16 million in dead money, however, over the course of the 2019 and 2020 seasons. Folks, it's not hard to see where the Ravens are going with this. Mm-mm. Now, there's definitely some stuff to talk about with this, though, Hunter, so give me a second. For starters, okay, I think if the Ravens did really want Lamar Jackson, it was incredibly smart of them to trade back into the first round with Philadelphia at the 32nd spot. Even if they had to sacrifice some draft picks, if Lamar Jackson ends up panning out, that is nothing compared to that valuable fifth-year option that the Ravens will now get on his contract compared to if they grabbed him in the second or wherever other rounds, right? So that, I think, was worth the trade, what they had to give up. But here's the thing. Let's talk about Joe Flacco real quick. Joe Flacco, Hunter, okay, is only 33 years old, and he has 10 years of experience in the league and one Super Bowl ring. Uh Now, as a Chief fan especially, I really do hope that the Baltimore Raven fans really appreciate what they have in Joe Flacco, and they forever will appreciate the championship that he brought them. You can call it a fluke all you want. A ring is a ring, okay? But let's look at some of his numbers and be honest with ourselves. Joe Flacco never is going to live up to the amount of talent that his contract warrants. He has a lifetime 68.2 QBR. By the way, that's the highest he's ever finished in one season. That's not good enough being one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. Folks, Brock Osweiler has a higher lifetime QBR than that. Brock Osweiler does. I don't blame Baltimore for looking to move on. He's been injury-ridden and inconsistent at best. Now, he will find another home in the league. At only 33, somebody will take a chance on him, okay? But I do think for Baltimore, it's time to move on. I think it really is time to start exploring other options. Joe Flacco was at the Ravens draft party, and of course, he was asked for comments on Lamar Jackson. He declined. He was silent. I don't blame him. Better to be silent than say something like Rosen did, right? But at the same time, I still think the Ravens are winners for drafting Lamar Jackson where they did. It should be noted as well to Hunter that the Ravens, true, did also sign RG3 this offseason. But looking back at it now, after what they did in the draft, as well as looking at RG3's contract, it can likely be concluded that they only brought him in to either be a camp body or perhaps an insurance quarterback should Flacco, you know, break earlier than they were expecting him to or something like that. I don't think he really ever had a legit chance at Mm -hmm. being the true starting quarterback in Baltimore. I don't know what you think, Hunter. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, is that a long-term marriage for success? I think it has the opportunity to be. I think Lamar Jackson has good a chance as any quarterback in the league to be a really, really good player. But... Like we've said in the past, he has to work on his technique. He has to work on his game. He has to be okay with sitting on the bench for a little bit and trying to understand the NFL a little better because it's a completely different game than what he played at Louisville. I do think, however, he went to the right team. 
I think he went to a good young team that's going to fulfill a lot more needs in the future for him. I don't think he's going to start this year. Obviously, they cannot start somebody over Joe Flacco when they're paying him that much money. But when he does start, I see the team having enough talent to where he can really work with them. I think they have a decent playbook for him to play around. And I think he's really kind of what the Ravens have been looking for. A young, talented quarterback who's going to kind of bring a new form of football into that city. And I think I think that's going to be really good for Baltimore. And here's the other thing. If Josh Rosen was a little burned by getting passed up, how do you think Lamar Jackson feels today? Yeah. After all those teams passed him up. Now, okay, was he still a first-round pick? Yes. Did he fall nearly to the extent that, like, Tom Brady did? Of course not. But come on. He was paying attention to the pre-draft talk about how he wasn't good enough, the he should switch to wide receiver talk, and all that nonsense. I think another winner of this is John Harbaugh. There was a lot of talk coming in how his seat potentially could have been pretty warm, how the Ravens were not really living up to it. But I think what this move also shows is that the Ravens are going to give him more patience. It would be very strange, unless it's some team, of course, like Cleveland, and don't worry, we'll get to the Browns, where if you were to take a guy like this, it would be very strange to fire a coach or a GM the very next year. Generally, when you take, I don't want to call him this, but I guess a project quarterback like Jackson, very rarely do teams part with the coach or GM that drafted him like the very next year. Yeah. So I think what this means for John Harbaugh is he's definitely guaranteed another at least couple seasons with the Ravens too. So he's also a winner out of this, but mainly the Baltimore Ravens. Hunter, who is your second winner of the NFL draft? My second winner, even though I hate to say it because I'm not a big fan of the Bears, I have to go with the Chicago Bears. I feel like they had one of the best offseason overhauls, including the draft, and I feel like they're in a great position to do something with their season next year. They drafted a linebacker with their first pick, which is great for the Bears because they've been struggling on defense for a while. They have to utilize a young squad in order to get that defense back and running like it used to. They also drafted a center with the 39th overall pick, which was great. Give uh, Mitchell Trubisky some good protection. And then they also drafted a couple weapons. We've got a wide receiver out of Memphis with the 51st overall pick and a wide receiver out of Georgia with the 181st overall pick. I think these are all fantastic picks. We've got a couple other linebackers that they picked throughout the draft as well to help out on defense. Oh, correction, sorry, that Georgia wide receiver went at the 224th overall pick. I apologize. But I think altogether they were really trying to draft around their future quarterback, or at least as they see it. They were really trying to give him more help and they also really were trying to give their defense a little more help. I, I don't know the status of all their players. I know it's not a very young defense, and I know it needs some work. It's definitely not what it used to be, and I think they could be trying to spur that going back into the defense that Chicago has always been known for. But, like I said, I think the Bears had a fantastic draft. They drafted around their quarterback, who they believe is the future, and that's really going to help out Mitchell Trubisky. I agree. We'll see what happens with that Memphis wide receiver. I still think they need a little bit more help on the offensive side of the ball, but I think Roquan Smith, the butt a winner last year in college football, easily overall was one of the most polished linebackers coming out of college. Yeah. 
he will help immediately as a week one starter for that defense, giving it more teeth, which I agree. The monsters of the midway, no, not no, not of recent. Not even. <laughs> but this is a good step in the right direction. Now, they still need more pieces. I still think they need longer corners. I think they need to get faster as well mm-hmm. on that defense. But Roquan, he will be the field general out there. I can see him easily being a captain within a couple of years in that team. He has that type of leadership quality and talent as well, yep. too. So I know, Hunter, you only had two. I had three. So I'll talk about my third winner here, and that goes to the New York Giants. I'll go the other New York team here. So on previous podcasts, I, Hunter, have talked to them about being the Browns of the NFC. Before this draft, in my opinion, if you stripped away Odell and Eli, they essentially would be. They had nothing. However, Dave Gettleman, in my opinion, did a great job in addressing many of the needs this team had, not only in free agency, but especially in the draft. Now, also, I did predict in kind of our mock top five pick that I thought the Giants would have taken Darnold. I will admit I was mildly surprised they passed on Darnold instead of planning for the future, but they still grabbed arguably the most overall talented offensive non-QB in the draft, and that would be Saquon Barkley. And looking at the rest of the picks, you can see what they're really trying to do blueprint-wise for this next upcoming season. And that's to help out an aging quarterback like the Saints showed you last season. The best way to do that is establishing a power run game. To help out Eli Manning, all right? They drafted a home run hitter in Barkley. They signed from New England Nate Solder to put on the left. And second round offensive tackle stud Will Hernandez likely to be the right tackle. That gives them a much needed improved offensive line for not only pass protection, but as well as rushing. The last time Hunter, the Giants had a running back a running back break the 1,000-yard mark on the season for rushing was Ahmed Bradshaw in 2012. I think Barkley could do that his rookie season. He's that good. I think easily as well, he should be, at least right now, we'll see what some of these quarterbacks do, he should be the early favorite for offensive rookie of the year. I also thought Lorenzo Carter from Georgia was easily one of the most overshadowed players of this draft. I really think pass rushing-wise, He has potential. Now, because of his hands, I still think his technique needs a little bit of work. He might struggle early, but I think he really could be a pleasant surprise late bloomer type player to help get after opposing quarterbacks after the Giants traded away JPP to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past offseason. I think especially though, again, father time is undefeated. Perhaps in next year's draft, that's when they address the quarterback situation. But then again, who knows? Because remember, they still have Davis Webb on that roster, and he hasn't been given a chance at all yet. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe at some point, if the Giants are either blowing somebody out or if they themselves are getting blown out, look for them to give Davis Webb or Geno Smith, maybe whoever else might be on that roster, a look before they invest a high pick on another quarterback. I think they still inevitably have to sooner than later. But I think what some of these other teams showed, and we'll talk about Mason Rudolph and the Steelers later on, I don't really think he's their long-term answer, but I think still they got to come up with something. Yeah, They passed on some of these guys in this draft, and that's fine, right? But you still can't deny father time is undefeated, and the clock is ticking on the Giants. However, look for them to win some games this year. I think Saquon Barkley will be the anchor of that offense for years to come. I think the Giants, big winners. They are much improved coming away from this draft. Now... I said we talk about the Browns, and Hunter, I know this isn't in the notes, but I think just one thing that we'll talk about here real quick, the Baker Mayfield pick. Now, especially with you being a Sooner fan as well, for the context of our audience, I was wondering in a second on what your thoughts were on Cleveland taking Baker number one over all the other quarterbacks in the draft. 
And if you think he will be, like we talked about as well, the best quarterback overall from this draft in five years' time. But now, knowing that he is in Cleveland as opposed to some of these other teams. I think that knowing what Cleveland is doing to really kick Baker Mayfield into gear, they've already came out and said that he's going to sit on the bench, not even at the QB2 spot, but at the QB3 spot behind Tyrod Taylor and behind whoever else. I can't remember their other quarterback right now. Some scrub. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that much. (laughs) But I think they know what they're doing. I think they know that he's been through a lot in his football career. He's been motivated a lot through his football career just to prove himself, and I think they're trying to get him to do that again. He's been a walk-on at two colleges. He's had to prove himself at two Big 12 colleges, both known for great football programs. And I think he'll do it again for the Browns. I think they got themselves a very high-quality pick. I think Browns fans are a little quick to judge. And I also think that he has no room to apologize for planting the flag at Ohio State just because he got picked by the Cleveland Browns. But that's that's for another day. I think the Browns got a very high-quality draft pick. I think they chose the right quarterback. A lot of people said Josh Allen probably should have gone to the Browns. But I think Baker Mayfield, having played the com- the competitors he's played against, and all the experience he has, I think he's honestly going to be the best quarterback out of this draft class. Now, Hunter, the reason why I wanted to bring the Browns up is this. So, spoiler alert for the audience, maybe what some people were expecting, the Browns were not actually one of my losers, but they also weren't one of my winners, and here's why. At least from my opinion, Hunter, maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't. I don't hate the Baker Mayfield pick. I really don't. If he was your guy, and you have the number one overall pick you take him, period. If he's the guy you like the most, if you if you think he's the guy that fits your offense the best, you take him. It's also rumoredly reported, because at first when they drafted Baker Mayfield, everyone was giving him crap, like was expected. No matter who they picked, they were likely going to get crap, because that's just the Cleveland Brown way. But it was rumored now, just a couple days ago, that Baker Mayfield's agent actually came forward and said the Patriots had actually been in contact with him. I don't know if you've heard this, Hunter. Yeah. They had said that if the Browns had not taken Mayfield number one, that the Patriots very likely could have traded to two yep. for Mayfield. So that tells me that, sure, a lot of teams had other quarterbacks perhaps higher than Mayfield, but not all of them. Now, did this obviously happen? Of course not. So why do I say Cleveland's not a winner then? If they like the guy, you take the guy? Well, that's just it. The Cleveland Browns draft room was very, very divided on who to take on draft day. It's rumored as well through some credible sources through the NFL that Hugh Jackson was not informed who they were actually selecting until roughly an hour before the draft. That tells me that he didn't want Baker Mayfield. That also tells me then that because the GM and the coach are on different pages here, I think this is very likely Hugh Jackson's last season in Cleveland. Even if he wins roughly six games, I don't see this being a long-term marriage for success. That just to me, for Baker, talent-wise, he can maybe overcome it, but just that kind of just adds a foreboding sign on if the whole team wasn't really on board with the pick. Now, of course, sure, there's always... You think about how many people are involved in the draft process. Coaches, scouts, coordinators... Of course, not every single person is going to agree with the pick, but the fact to me that there was this much disagreement on who to draft Allen, Darnold, Mayfield, 
to me, I would be a little worried. What say you, Hunter? Well, I think if it does play out like you're saying, this is Hugh Jackson's last year in Cleveland, all that kind of stuff, I think we have a very good chance of seeing a similar type of progression as we saw in Jared Goff and the Rams last year, or a couple years, so to speak. Getting rid of a toxic coach in a city where they've been struggling with football for a while seems to be a good idea, but we really have to see how Hugh Jackson handles the next season because I'm sure he knows his butt is on the chopping block as well. I do think that Hugh Jackson has the potential to coach this team into a decent form, but I don't know if Hugh Jackson's the coach to take them to the big game or even the playoffs. I don't think that the Browns can make the playoffs with Hugh Jackson calling the plays. No, I don't so either. It'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, honestly. Nobody the Browns are kind of like the Patriots. Nobody knows why they do the things that they do or what's going on in their heads 24/7, but not in a good way. No, not not in a good way is what I was just about to say cuz obviously that hasn't been very good for the Browns. They just I think really what they need is a young coach to come in and kind of they have a lot of young talent so I think a young coach coming in building that camaraderie with his players would be a very good idea and the Denzel Ward pick really quickly too do I blame them for taking him not necessarily because again corner was after all a need for the Cleveland Browns it was they were picked on pretty badly in that division in the secondary yeah, they lost Joe Hayden too. That was expected. They're, they were going to get picked on. So if, again, according to their board, if their best evaluated corner, which was Denzel Ward, was on the board, you got to take him. However, I thought the better overall defensive player was Chubb. Yeah. Now, I've said it before. In my opinion, the best way to run a successful NFL franchise is in this order. Hunter, you have to have an NFL franchise quarterback. Yep. No matter how crap your team is, if you got a guy, you got a chance. Period. Period. But you, you can't you can't win games with a stellar We saw this last year with the Denver Broncos. They have an all right offense. They have good weapons on offense. CJ Anderson was a good running back. Our defense was good, but our offense wasn't good enough because we did not have consistent play at the quarterback position. And that's you, that was the issue. Absolutely. And you go grab any 10 random people off the street, football fans or not. Now, exclude Hunter and myself, two guys that are, I would say, maybe more invested in sports than the average Joe. But you go grab 10 people off the street and you just ask them, hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? I guarantee you every single team they would list you has got a franchise guy. How about the Atlanta Falcons, Matt Ryan, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, the Patriots, Tom Brady. It doesn't matter what the rest of your team looks like. If you got a guy, you got a chance. But like I said, three steps. You get your franchise guy. You protect your franchise guy. And then you get after the opposing guy. In my opinion, Hunter, I would value a pass rush more so than a secondary. I really do. I would put more of an emphasis on the D-line rather than the secondary, which is why I'm mad as hell that Cleveland gave you guys, arguably, (laughs) if not the best overall defensive player in the draft, Bradley Chubb. Do I blame Elway for taking him? Not one bit. (laughs) But to me, if I was John Dorsey of the Browns, I would have taken Chubb, the best overall player, even though, yes, last year they did spend the number one overall pick on a pass rusher. That's great. Draft Chubb, and then you've got two formidable pass rushers. Be honest. 
What team has two quality left tackles that can deal with two pass rushers? Oh, wait. Teams don't. No. You've got the left tackle that maybe can bottle up one of those dudes. But if you've got two of them, pray. Good that, luck. That's how you, that's how you beat that's, it. That's how we saw the 2015 season when the Broncos went and, once, went and won Super Bowl 50. That's exactly their plan. Having DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller both attacking the passer at the same time was a nightmare for other teams. We saw it in the Super Bowl. We saw it in the playoffs against the Patriots. Yep, and I think that's a good segue, Hunter, to take us into our losers. So for you, who was your first big loser of the NFL draft? My first biggest loser, and i got to apologize to my dad, who's a Steelers fan. The Steelers just, I don't know what they're doing with this draft, man. They they really, really reached for their first-round pick. I don't, the safety out of Virginia Tech at number 28 overall definitely would have been there at at least number 60 overall, which is where they had their next pick. I don't understand why they did that. Granted, they need help on defense and as much help as they can get, but they did not need to take that safety in the first round. That was a big reach in my opinion. They also picked a wide receiver, which I'm not really understanding. They did just get rid of Martavis Bryant, but I don't think that that was a need they needed to fill quite yet. No. They still have the best wide receiver in the league, and I'm going to say he's better than Julio Jones just because I would – argue that he's more consistent from a talent perspective yeah but go on anyways yeah and then the third pick they had overall was a quarterback from oklahoma state obviously i'm biased against oklahoma state i can't stand him but mason rudolph is a good quarterback he played very well against baker mayfield especially in in really high opportunistic games he was good when healthy yeah he was he was good when healthy but i don't understand the pick ben roethlisberger says he can play at least five more years I think that's way too long to have Mason Rudolph sitting on the bench. If you really believe in Ben Roethlisberger, which I would because Ben Roethlisberger has been nothing but productive, I would. I don't understand why you would draft a quarterback when your quarterback says he's got five more years. Now, obviously, barring injury, that could change. Ben Roethlisberger could get injured because he is getting old. He's a big dude. But I, I just don't understand. They did have a couple good picks an offensive tackle out of Western Michigan at number 92 overall. Yeah, kind of. They also drafted a running back. Doesn't make any sense. Arguably the best running back in the league already on the team. I mean, assuming they pay him. Yeah. And okay. One of their best, maybe it's insurance. Maybe it's an insurance pick. Yeah, that's true. But one of their best picks was Alabama's defensive tackle, Josh Fraser at uh, 246. I think that's a need that they need to fulfill. I don't know that that's going to be an immediate help, but I think he could come up and uh, join the ranks. But I think overall, kind of what I touched on and what they really didn't do well is they didn't get any immediate help. But uh, that was my first loser. I have two. What about you, Tyler? Yes, I've got two of them as well. My first loser has got to go to the 12th man. I gag saying that. Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, you stole that crap from A&M. But <laughs> for starters, okay, you say you say the Steelers reached for what they did in the first round. And I'm not going to dispute that, but I say a bigger reach oh. is what the Seattle Seahawks did oh, yeah. in reaching for Rashad Penny running back out of San Diego State. A guy who easily would have been on the board in the second round. Yeah. Now, okay, it should be noted, I acknowledge, in this draft, the Seattle Seahawks did not have a second round draft pick fine they could have traded into the second round without having to give up too much if they really wanted Rashad Penny 
This was a deep enough running back class. They did not have to. The only running back in this class, in my opinion, Hunter, that I thought was worthy of going in the first was Barkley. Period. Maybe, maybe you can make an argument for Sonny Michelle, Which, but yeah. not Penny. And Penny no. went before Sonny Michelle, did he not? Yeah, he did. Penny went before Sonny Michelle, so Which, why? They could have easily had Sonny Michelle, which really irks me about that pick. Because Sonny Michelle altogether is a way better running back. More polished, he, he played against better talent. He played for a better team, period. That In a conference that was better, period. That alone should make you draft him over the other guy because of the competition he played. You don't get to see a lot of the other guy's potential against high-caliber opponents, which makes him look better. So it doesn't make any sense. I completely agree with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. But it gets worse. Now, fine. Even if you want to talk about the penny reach being a reach, the penny pick being a reach, which it was, you look at overall the team needs this team had, Hunter. O-line, D-line, their secondary after getting rid of Sherman, Michael Bennett being gone in the D-line, and then wide receiver holes. But here's what you do looking at the rest of their picks. So they draft that running back who was really overvalued. But then later on, they drafted a punter (laughs) in the fifth round before finally taking their first offensive lineman of the draft. Easily, in my opinion, Hunter, their largest need going into the draft, and even after the draft, is still offensive line. So the guy they ended up drafting was a dude by the name of Jamarco Jones. No disrespect to him, but he was available in the fifth round at tackle for a reason. He's a quality backup at best. Last season, Seattle's offensive line ranked 22nd overall in the NFL through a combination of offensive rushing and pass protection production. But here's the thing. They still gave up a shockingly high 121 quarterback hits on Russell Wilson. The only two teams, by the way, that let their quarterbacks get hit more than that, Arizona and Cleveland. That's not good company. No. Add on to that, he was sacked 43 times. Now, this is also a case, Hunter, where the numbers don't tell the full story because let's also be honest. If Russell Wilson was not as athletic as he is with his scramble ability, they, both of those numbers would be higher. They they would have far topped the Browns and the Cardinals last season if Russell Wilson didn't have wheels on him. I mean, this offensive line, I know it's 22nd overall according to the NFL's website. It should be close to, if not dead last. Yeah. And they waited until the fifth round to address, in my opinion, their weakest link of the team. That's great. You got a running back, but if you've got no offensive line for him to run behind, he ain't going nowhere. Well, that's that's the thing, and I think the Seahawks really rely on their quote-unquote franchise players to make the plays. I think that's why they had a lot of success while Marshawn was there because Marshawn essentially could make those plays without a decent line because he was just a beast. That's literally what he was. He could run through people. But without a line, what? who is this kid from San Diego State? What is he going to do? Like, seriously, there's nothing he can do behind a line that crumbles. I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to get wrecked by Aaron Donald and Adama Sue, the rivals in the Rams. You think about now, that defensive line that they got to face twice a year, good luck, Russell Wilson, is all I got to say, man. I just, good Lord, I would not want to be on that team. Unless they can make some free agency moves for whatever reason and just really go out there and throw people around and money and picks around, I, there's... They're not going. They're going to be finishing dead last in that division. There's no way. And with how old P. Carroll is too, I wouldn't be shocked another year or two if he retires. I mean, this team is going downhill really quickly. In some ways, this is starting to minus the controversy, of course, starting to mirror his last final, you know, seasons at USC, 
where he kind of built a powerhouse, but then towards the end, they really started struggling once his competition in the Pac-12 got better. Now, I will acknowledge, and we'll talk about this later on too, Hunter, the Shaquem Griffin pick. I give credit where credit is due. I think that was fantastic that of all the teams that grabbed him, it was Seattle, so that he does get to play with his twin brother. Yep. Now, again, we'll talk about Shaquem later on, but my point in bringing him up is while it was good that they drafted him, it does not at all make up for the rest of their draft picks and the horrible, horrible job they did of reaching for guys and not addressing needs that they had. So that's my first loser, Hunter. Who is your second loser of the draft? You're not going to like this one, Tyler, but I had to go there because I didn't think it was a very good draft. My second loser is the Kansas City Chiefs. You're a hater. Now, hear me You're a hater. Before you talk, because I did a lot of research on this this morning, I was looking over a bunch of different articles, and a lot of people kind of agree. I think the Kansas City Chiefs really kind of reached on Breland Speaks. I don't know that I would call it a reach, but what they gave up for him was not what they needed to give up for him. What, And I think you planned on talking about this later. I just don't see why they would give up that much to just go and get Breland Speaks. I don't. That doesn't make any sense for me. Otherwise, I, I don't see how they got any immediate help. I don't know that they got help to help them next season is what I'm saying. I don't know that they really picked anybody up that'll be there immediately to fill the holes that they need to. And I also think that taking Breland Speaks that high kind of puts this pressure on him to perform, or at least it's a, it's a pressure that he's never experienced in his career before. I would say that it puts pressure on him to perform better than he has the ability to, to perform in his first season as a player in the NFL given that he starts in his first season. But I just think, you know, they really gave up more than they needed to for a player that wasn't the best at that position available. I also don't think they filled a lot of holes that they needed to fill. But, you know, I, I kind of digress. I just I just don't see the point in Breland Speaks, really. Oh. Which is a ridiculous name, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, the dude, you want to look at ridiculous names? Go look at... Vita Vea? Yeah, his full name. <laughs> his full name. That's like Key and Peel level something. Can, like that's not even. Can we just talk about how he looks like Maui? No, he Moana. totally does. Live action. Yeah. yeah, totally. Just the Bucks got themselves Maui from Moana. Anyways, go ahead. Oh, I mean, I've got some things to say in response, but I'm gonna save that for later on to where we actually do talk about our specific teams drafts. So. I hear you, and don't get me wrong, there is legitimate criticism of my team's drafts, and I will address some of that, but I also have some responses, too. So that's your second loser. I want to preface this next piece, and I like sometimes listening to him. Sometimes he says some ridiculous stuff, but sometimes he makes some really good points, and the guy I'm referring to is Colin Cowherd. And on one of Colin Cowherd's shows the other day, and I really do agree with this point, no matter what you do in life, Hunter... You deserve 70 to 75% of the credit for your success. It doesn't matter what you are. A teacher, a general manager, a firefighter, even if you're just a shelf stalker at your local grocery store, you deserve 70 to 75% of your success. But be honest with yourself. 25 to 30% of your success is just you taking advantage of dumb people in your position that don't know what they're doing. 
Hey, Jerry Jones, how you doing? My second loser of this draft has to go to the Dallas Cowboys, and here's why. Coming into the draft, Hunter, the Cowboys, like all teams, had some needs. But by cutting Des Bryant as late as they did in the offseason, all of a sudden they had a serious need for wide receiver. Now here's the thing, though. For the first time since 2010, Hunter, a wide receiver was not picked in the top 10. Hell, even by 19, which is where the Cowboys were picking, every single wide receiver was still on the board. Every single one. Mm -hmm. They had their pick of the litter. They could have had any of them. Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton. But what did they do instead? Drafted a linebacker from the Mountain West. Boise State. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. To, To the Cowboys' partial credit... Maybe they were afraid of some of the first-round wide receivers and the stigmatism of like this injury curse. To be fair, you look back at some of these guys in recent memory that were drafted in the first round. Corey Davis, he didn't play. John Ross had a nagging hamstring injury. Sammy Watkins, he's been injury-prone since entering the league. And it's true with the offseason departure of linebacker Anthony Hitchens, who coincidentally joined my Chiefs, they did have a need for linebacker. However, though... They had Calvin Ridley sitting there, Hunter. They had DJ Moore sitting there. Instead, they draft a dude by the name of Leighton Vander Esch from Boise State. Now, looking at his numbers in college, he was pretty impressive, especially at the Combine, drawing comparisons to Bears' former great, Brian Erlacher. However, like I've mentioned in previous podcasts, okay, beware the Combine hero. Chiefs wide receiver, I've used this example before, Chris Conley. He was a stud when he came out of Georgia at the Combine, putting up ridiculous numbers in the shuttle, the bench press. His 40 time was really good. He has yet to make a consistent impact on our roster, Hunter. Now, in the case of Vander Esch, his junior year at Boise State was impressive, okay? He was named the 2017 Mountain West Player of the Year, the 2017 Mountain West MVP of the championship game, He tallied 141 tackles, 8.5 of which for a loss, 4 sacks, 4 pass breakups, and 4 forced fumbles. But here's where I draw criticism of the pick, though. He also missed half of the 2016 season due to injury, and he redshirted his freshman year. Hunter, in my opinion, if he was really the next Brian Erlacher, now injury aside, he should have been a a true freshman starting... And let's face it, at a school that isn't exactly oozing with NFL talent like Georgia or Alabama or Clemson, Mm -hmm. who does he have to compete with at the linebacker spot at Boise State? If he's the next Brian Urlacher, I would be concerned if he wasn't a three or four year starter. Now, injury is different. And that's also, okay, even if talent wise he's there, then are there some character reasons why he wasn't a starter or why he redshirted? Now, let's also talk about Jerry Jones and Jason Witten retiring. Now, the truth is, whether Jerry Jones knew about Witten retiring before the draft or not, we will never know. The public will never know. However, though, based off of the reception that a lot of people in the sports community had to Witten retiring, I don't think many people were expecting it. A lot of people were surprised and shocked, but once again, it suddenly opened up another new need for the Cowboys at tight end. So let's go to the second round of the draft, Hunter. Pick number 50 overall. They had their eyes on a tight end from South Dakota State by the name of Dallas Godert. Now, a little bit of context, too. Last year's draft was hosted in Philadelphia. This year, it was in Dallas. Now, 
Let me let me repeat that again. The draft was in Dallas. They needed a tight end, and they were going to draft a guy by the name of Dallas Godert. I, I mean, this was like too perfect, right? To play for Dallas. Until their arch-rival Eagles <laughs> swapped with the Colts to 49, one pick in front of them, and drafted said tight end. Who, by the way, looks like he's going to be actually a really nice fit in that offense to replace Trey Burton. Rip Jerry Jones. It should be noted as well, too, last year, I mentioned the draft was in Philadelphia. Former Cowboy great wide receiver Drew Pearson decided to take opportunity of his stage and hot mic to roast the Philly faithful. Well, that did not go unnoticed from former kicker David Ackers, who decided to return the favor. Sure, the Cowboys might have more rings, but as David Ackers pointed out, the last time the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl, all the players in the draft weren't born yet. Ouch. (laughs) Now, Vander Esch could end up being a really great linebacker, like some of these scouts have proclaimed him to be, and if that's the case, I would eat crow. I don't know the guy. I'm not, like, rooting against him. I just think, again, what the team needed need-wise, especially on that offense, drafting a linebacker is very puzzling to me. Overall, the team need, I don't really like the pick at all, especially as well getting screwed by almost having a really good pass-catching tight end that that your rival, division rival, end up snagging. I think that makes them losers. And then the insult to injury is just David Acker's rubbing it in. By the way, too, I really hope, Hunter, that this actually doesn't become a trend where obviously I'm okay with guests announcing picks for teams. That's cool. If you're going to do, you know, for younger kids, especially like the guy who announced the Denver Broncos pick, if it's going to be, you know, make a wish, that's awesome. I'm all for that. But if it's going to be former players just roasting the fans, the host city, that's going to become obnoxious. I'm watching the NFL draft, not like a soap opera. Get on with it. The draft is already long enough. You don't have to drag it out, in my personal opinion. But what say you? I I would say that 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 pick was just left a lot of questions. I did just I didn't have a lot to talk about on the Cowboys because I very biased against them. I don't really like the Cowboys at all. But one thing I don't know if you heard about this, but a lot of Philly fans have already started a petition to get Dallas to change his name. I don't know if you saw that. They're also raising money for it. I'm not they have surprised. GoFundMe's and everything like that, Kickstarters, whatever. To what cheesesteak? To, to <laughs> I don't know, Philly probably. <laughs> Philadelphia will be his name. But I I just thought that was a funny little piece of information. Yeah, I don't. Jerry Jones is just an idiot, frankly. I don't understand a lot of the things that he does with his football organization. But. And the problem with the Cowboys is you do not have separation of powers in that organization and you're really starting to see with Jerry Jones as he gets older the problem with that even if as a general manager he's not really making great picks well okay go to the owner get him fired oh wait he is the owner too so mind you I'm not a cowboy fan either couldn't be pretty farther from it I mean I don't (laughs) like them either so do I mind Not necessarily. (laughs) However, though, I must admit, I must admit that this was a bad draft for the Cowboys. I really don't think they addressed as good as they could have the positions of need. I think especially passing on some of these wide receivers next year in that offense, Dak Prescott's going to pay for it, which that's the sad part is. Who does he have to throw to right now? Their offense relies strictly on Dak Prescott being a playmaker. 
Cole Beasley's not a number one wide receiver. No, like they, it relies strictly on Dak Prescott being a playmaker and running the ball, or Ezekiel Elliott running the ball. If they he's not going to get suspended, yeah, they don't have they don't have a pass game. They don't, and and Dak Prescott played really good his rookie year, but he doesn't have anybody to throw to now, and the Cowboys didn't realize that. Therefore, back to sucking. I mean, honestly, guys, come on. But five rings. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wasn't even alive, so. You tell yourselves that. So, Hunter, let's now talk about our biggest surprise of the draft. Who was your biggest surprise, or what was your biggest surprise, rather, overall? I think, honestly, my biggest surprise overall was uh, the Giants taking Saquon with their second pick. I just, that, I, I know I probably should have expected it, but in my mind, I didn't see a reason for them to take a running back over a quarterback at all especially with the quarterback woes they had this last season benching Eli for a week you know there are a lot of different things that went on in in New York this year where it really kind of highlighted a need for a young quarterback to sit for a couple years and really develop under a who was a really good quarterback Eli Manning he's not as good as he used to be but I think that really blew my mind. It's not a bad pick by any means. I just don't think that they picked what they really could have used. No. Now, I give them a couple years. Eli Manning will still be in the league for another few years, I'm sure. But he is coming to his end. I just hope that they don't get screwed over with a bad quarterback because this was a great draft class for quarterbacks. And this, where they were picking, too, at yeah, number it, two overall. They had the opportunity to snag something that really could have helped them in the future. And I don't think they did. So that was my biggest surprise. I guess another big surprise that I could highlight is Bradley Trubb dropping to the Broncos at the fifth pick. I don't think anybody saw that coming. But, you know, it happened, and I'm really happy about it. So Elway himself admitted that he didn't expect Chubb to be there at five. Yeah. And I was shocked, too. I really thought Cleveland was going to take Chubb at four. Yep. I, I really thought that's what was going to happen. Now, it obviously didn't, and the rest is history. But I can see that being surprising. I, I can. To me, my big surprise is Shaquem Griffin specifically falling to the fifth round of yeah. the draft. Yeah. Now, I can understand why NFL teams were timid of him. I would say, like, for the first three rounds, I, I understand. I get it. But at the same time, the fifth round, he's better than that. He should have easily been one of the first names off the board, if nothing else in the fourth round. To me, it's an atrocity that he fell as far as he did in the draft. I think many NFL teams, Hunter, are going to pay for passing on him as many times as they did. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He has what you cannot coach and that is heart. His entire life, he has been doubted. He has been disrespected. People look at him and his, I'll say air quotes, disability and they think lesser of him. But look at his tape. His tape doesn't lie. He can play. He can absolutely get off of blockers. He can stop the run. He can get after passers. I. What more do you want? I think for what it's worth, again, like I mentioned earlier, it is still incredibly cool that he did end up with Seattle and that he does get to play with his twin brother. Now, how that's going to actually work in their defense, I'm not quite sure. I don't know if Shaquem will end up starting. Maybe he's more of a rotation guy, come in on second and third down or something mm-hmm. for depth. But I still, still think, though, 
NFL teams are going to pay for passing on him as much as they did. I think this kid arguably could end up being one of the most underrated picks of this draft. And I still think, like I said earlier, though, even though this was a surprise to me, a pleasant one, it still does not forgive the sins that Seattle made prior to the Griffin pick. They Mm -hmm. still had a bad draft. But this this is their silver lining, if there's one to be had. I think it was cool that, again, for what it's worth, he fell to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, and and I would agree there just to touch on a couple things. You know, I don't see why he fell that far. And like you said, if you look at his tape, he's an excellent all-around linebacker. He's not good at just pass rushing. And just because he doesn't have a hand doesn't mean he's not good at breaking up a pass either. He can catch. He can catch. There's lots of videos of him getting interceptions because he's reading the play. Picking up fumbles, He's got great football IQ. You know, there's not much this kid can't do except for eat with his whatever hand that he doesn't have. His right hand. Yeah, he he can't eat cereal with a right hand. That's about the only thing that he can't do. But, you know, I just, I don't understand why he fell that far. And and like you said, the kid's got heart. If there's anything an NFL team needs more than heart, it's just athletic ability. But he has that too. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Maybe they'll kind of switch him around position wise put him in a couple different spots but like you said i can see him being a rotation guy as well see i don't know if you can use him on special teams because or maybe you can because he did have a pretty good 40 time as well too maybe he is a special teams guy as well so now i said i was going to come back to this hunter let's talk our teams in the draft so i i will kick this off so i will admit i'm not surprised at what kansas city did and what i mean by this is like I figured they were going to do. And I said this as well before. I'm just going to point out on my other podcast. Kansas City spent their entire draft, like I thought they were going to, on defensive players. Now, again, at whatever positions, it depended on how the boards fell. But they were going to spend the entire draft on defensive players. Now, I personally am torn about the selections. On one hand, the Chiefs did draft players in positions of need, okay? You mentioned, Hunter, these two guys aren't going to be likely contributors. I say, well, they're going to start right away. Now, whether they're actually any good is what we have to see, but they're going to be day one starters, okay? They selected two very good, statistically, run stoppers out of college to help plug a leaky rush defense, which, by the way, finished in 2017, 25th overall in the league, giving up an average of 4.3 yards per rush and an average of 118 yards on the ground per game. Not good enough. However, though, I will come back to this. Like you said, in order to get Breland Speaks, a defensive tackle out of Florida State, Derek Nottie, we had to move up in both instances to get them. And that's where I'm a little torn. While the both of these guys are very talented, Derek Nottie is going to come in at nose tackle. He is an unmovable wall. Guards are not going to be able to get leverage on this guy. But the problem is, as you use the word reach, you could use that word, but I think the better word is they panicked. I think yeah. the Chiefs simply panicked, and whether that panic was warranted or not, once again, we'll never know. We were never in that draft room. We don't know what the other teams were truly planning on doing, and that's part of the draft game sometimes is maybe like in poker. You fake bluff, and you make teams panic because after all, different divisions, different conferences, it doesn't matter. Every team is trying to win the Super Bowl every year, so you're always working against other teams. Maybe some teams, you know, bluffed and the Chiefs bought it 
I don't know. But what I do know is, like you said, reading some draft analysis, there does seem to be a pretty common consensus that the Chiefs gave up unnecessary draft picks to get players that likely would have been there on their board when they were picking. So that part I'm kind of torn on. Now, if they end up being really good, I could eat crow, but we'll see where we go from there. Third backer Clemson line or third round pick, excuse me, Clemson linebacker Dorian O'Daniel, I think will end up being a really good contributor in special teams. Chiefs general manager Brett Veach did say he was their highest evaluated special teams player of the draft. He also does get to reunite with former high school teammate Kendall Fuller on defense, which I think is cool as well. O'Daniel, while he's definitely smaller hunter for an NFL linebacker, he was pretty good in coverage, which is likely where I think the Chiefs are going to use him in the nickel, which is especially important now that they cut Derek Johnson. They were in need of a good coverage linebacker yep. because Ragland and Hitchens from the Cowboys, those guys will play the run, but that's their weakness. They can't cover. So if O'Daniel can do that, even just for a couple downs, that'll help not expose you know tight ends cutting across the middle or slot receivers. I think now, though, at least for my team, and I'll let you talk about yours in a second, the success of the Chiefs in 2018 now is going to come down to two different things. How well can the D-line play, not only in terms of playing the run, but also getting after the passer because our pass rush also somewhat evaporated last season too. And essentially, the arm of Patrick Mahomes. That's really the two things that's going to come down to. Because for the most part, he's still got a core overall team. And that's what people are forgetting is for the most part, the Chiefs core-wise are still pretty sound. They've got a running game. They've got a passing game. For the most part, they've got, I will say, you know, a workable offensive line. About middle of the league. They're not the best. They're not the worst. Eric Berry coming back in that secondary with Kendall Fuller too. They will get better. And that's also why our pass defense got so exposed was quarterbacks had forever to throw. It doesn't matter who you got in that backfield. And that's why, once again, I put the premium on pass rush. You can have Eric Reed or yeah, Ed, Ed Reed, excuse me, Ed Reed, Darrell Rivas. If you get any receiver seven, eight seconds to run, they're going to get open. It yeah. doesn't matter. So, the D-line and Patrick Mahomes is really what's going to dictate the success of the Chiefs' 2018 season. Hunter, what did you think of the Broncos draft? I really enjoyed the Broncos draft this year. I don't know that I've ever been so excited for the future the next couple years after a draft as I am right now. I think we got a lot of high-quality picks that filled decent needs that we needed to fill. I'm still kind of questioning not going after an offensive line guy um, until really late in the draft. But I think that really kind of speaks that we acknowledge that we have other problems and we're not just going to focus on that. Speaking on the future, I think the combination of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb will be an absolute nightmare for opposing offenses. I'm still pissed the Browns gave you guys Chubb. It's just an incredible combination. I don't know how anybody's going to defend that. There's There's no way that they're going to be able to defend that effectively 100% of the time. Now, speaking on other picks, you know, Bradley Chubb, obviously the big name in Denver right now, just came in first round. Amazing pick. But we also really want to look at Cortland Sutton. I think that kid has incredible playmaking ability. He has incredible potential to be one of the best wide receivers in Broncos history. And I think he has incredible potential to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. But he really has to focus on his work ethic, being around his other wide receivers, and learning from them because the Broncos are blessed with having Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas on the same team, two of some of the best wide receivers in the league. Demarius Thomas obviously has been on decline lately. His hands have gone from 
very good to not good at all. He drops a lot of passes, but he still has that IQ. He played in front of one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So, you know, there are a lot of different things that he could learn from those two wide receivers, but he's also got a lot of younger guys that he's joining as well. You know, we got McKenzie. We've got a couple other people that are really going to be decent wide receivers in the future, but Cortland Sutton, what I really like about him is he's got the ability to catch almost anything that's thrown at him. And he's also kind of got that spectacular, like on Madden, his spectacular catch is up to like 90 or 95. You know, he catches a lot of one-handed passes, which speaking on a chemistry kind of deal can really hype up your team and get your team to play better once you catch a ball like that. That's getting a little too deep. Um, Otherwise, you know, I think we had a really good draft all around. I think it makes our future look bright, and I think it gives us a lot of options for success in this next season as well. So speaking of your future, I will acknowledge a couple things. I do think Sutton has really good hands. I like his size as a playmaker and his ability to get separation from corners off the edge. I Mm -hmm. think will really help him out at this next level. I think this pick, like you said, is more so specifically for putting DT on notice. Now, I think at least this season, what you likely are going to do is put him at the number two, still keep DT at the number one receiver spot and put Sanders in the slot. However, though, I agree. If DT doesn't move his production up, you probably do a Des Bryant move where it's, hey, let's restructure or you're gone. What's it going to be? Because I'm sorry, I don't. I don't want to say the player's feelings don't matter, but you are being paid millions of dollars. Produce or we will find someone who will. It's not that complicated. And here's the thing, too. I really like the Josie Jewell pick as well. I think that's a pretty underrated pick out of Mm -hmm. Iowa. He's a really good depth linebacker. He'll come in and learn, contribute to you guys. I also think looking forward, let's talk about that as well, too. I think almost inevitably by drafting Chubb, Shane Ray's out the door. Yeah. Oh, wait. They've also just this morning, yeah. even before the podcast, said that the Broncos are declining his fifth-year option. So Shane Ray's gone. Shaq Barrett, we'll see. He could be out the door too. Eh. Maybe. I mean, he maybe he takes a team-friendly deal. Denver's not gonna. You guys aren't going to give him a king's ransom. No, though. not at all. But I think I think maybe he'll realize with that pick coming in, he if he's about football and not about the money, he'll stay. And that's, that's what I think. If he'll take a team-friendly deal, maybe. Yeah, that's he is a CSU kid after all. That's the biggest, you know, that's one of the biggest tests that any NFL player has to deal with. If you're all about winning or all about the money, you know, Kirk Cousins says he's all about the winning, but, you know, high, really all high the money, pay, all guaranteed contract. Money. Now, I agree. I still think if there is any criticism of your draft – Now, Royce Freeman's a good running back. I have questions about his durability. He was injured in college, but when he's healthy, he's a good running back. I still think you have a bad needed right tackle. And I think if you guys do not succeed, specifically if Denver does not make the playoffs, I think that will be wise. Once again, your offensive line is not going to create your running game, and it's not going to help case out with passing, especially in third down, obvious blitzing situations. Now, do I blame John Elway for taking Chubb? Absolutely not. That's exactly who I would have drafted too. You have to take that guy. Sutton pick. I think the Sutton pick, if anything, is one you guys maybe might regret in the sense of I do like him as a talent, but again, you look at the team needs. You could have had some really good yeah. tackles or guards that once again you needed mm-hmm. and you waited until the fifth round to take your first lineman, was it? Yep, fifth, fifth round. So now, no disrespect to that guy. I mean, he could prove me wrong. Sometimes linemen who are drafted late end up being pretty good. Yeah. 
Um, the Chiefs have an example of this sixth round pick. He's got a really long name. He's Canadian, Laurent Derveni Tardif, with his sixth round pick. He's a starter in our line. I mean, you can have late round linemen come in and be well, but statistically, it generally doesn't happen. Now, I know you guys maybe could have had Nelson, Quinton Nelson too, but I still think taking Chubb over him was the better way to go. Yep. Now, looking forward though, we didn't talk about this until the end, and I know this isn't on the notes, but I want your thoughts on this, Hunter, as you likely know. The Denver Broncos, now, I even said this because I was at, for context for the audience, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings with some friendos watching the draft, and the Giants were taking a while to pick, and I was sitting next to a friend of mine, he asked, you know, what's taking them so long, because normally, for the first couple picks of the draft, it's pretty bang-bang, because the teams know who they're taking, but I told him, they were fielding phone calls. They were fielding trade offers. Now, they still ended up taking Barkley, as we know. But one of the teams that called the Giants at number two was the Denver Broncos for Darnold. Now, we will never know how those phone call, how the phone call went, what was demanded for moving up to two. But what that move tells me, because after all, actions speak louder than words. You guys, for better or for worse, are certainly rolling with Case Keenum this year. He is the guy, barring injury, no matter what. But I think next year or next year's offseason, unless you you know he goes out there and just plays his mind out in an MVP-type season, I think that's where you give Kelly a look and maybe you potentially go after a quarterback because it tells me that you don't have faith in him long-term. Now, maybe yeah. you let him play out you know the two years on his deal, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But what that move tells me by even inquiring about trading up is that you guys don't see Case as your long-term moving forward franchise yeah. guy. Well, I think one thing to look about or look at there is Case Keenum is actually a lot older than people think he is. No, he is, yeah. He's been in the league for a long time. He's just finally found a success this last year with the Vikings out of nowhere for whatever reason. But, you know, I would kind of agree. I Actually, that's the first time I've heard that. I didn't know that that was, uh, you know, uh, I, I know that... Elway talked about trading up, yeah. I, I know that both the Browns and the Giants alike were probably fielding phone calls. You do that when you have the top two picks in the draft. It's a smart business move. It you is. have to. Because if somebody offers you something better than what you see as potential, then why not take it? Anyways... I didn't know that, but I think if that were to happen, I don't think we would be as well off as we are now. I think Bradley Chubb was honestly probably the best pick in the draft by any team. I And I'm trying not to be biased when I say that, but for an immediate need, I don't even... And I love Baker Mayfield. I don't even think Baker Mayfield was the best pick in the draft for that, for whatever team oh, he no. went to. Because they already have a quarterback. He's not going to start day one, not at all. Tyrod will be the guy. Yeah. yeah, but I think, honestly, Bradley Chubb immediately adds the danger factor to the Broncos defense that they had in 2015 with DeMarcus Ware and, and Von Miller. But I I just I don't see how they could have done that. I not for him anyways, not for Sam Darnold. And I think they probably wanted too much and just to move up what, three spots yeah. to two, that seemed unnecessary. But True, though, if they did really want Darnold, that's where they had to go. Because Baker was already gone at one, and the Jets wanted him at three. And like in business negotiations, that meant the Giants had leverage. So they could demand higher things. Now, obviously, Elway didn't agree to them, nor did he have to. But that did give the Giants leverage, though, and they knew it. Now, again, I still think Denver was wise to... 
not necessarily pass on quarterbacks entirely, but not, again, sell the farm for one of these guys, especially yeah. for already picking in the top five. Yeah. Don't pull what the Bears did with Trubisky well, and give up unnecessary picks. We know that the Broncos would have traded down if Bradley Chubb wasn't there. I think that's pretty clear right now. Yes. We know that they would have taken a trade from another team, probably the Bills or the Cardinals. We saw the Cardinals move up, maybe even the, the Ravens, since they traded back into the first round. But, you know, since Bradley Chubb was readily available, I don't see any better pick at that point to take. So, No, not at all. I think this next season after this draft, I really, really am curious to see how some of these guys do do in the league and how they do develop. I really am curious to see, looking back on this, maybe after in a year's time where this next season comes and goes and we look back and revisit this draft and we talk about, you know, were we right? Where did we miss? What would we, what would we maybe have, you know, said and done differently? Um with that being said, though, folks, we are going to call it a wrap. Thank you once again for stopping by wherever you may be. However you may be listening, we thank you. Please pass us along to anybody you know that might happen to listen to podcasts. We're on all forums of social media, Anchor, iTunes. Be sure to check us out. Thanks.